Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. It's good to see you guys. We took a, uh, a week off because of Columbus Day, obviously. So it feels like, a, feels like many more weeks than that. So I hope you all got to meet my um, two sons and my wife, Henry, Ward, and Sarah. Um, I wish Ward could be here and actually demonstrate it for us, but um, because it's been fall and a little chilly, but also the past like week it was like pretty hot, we had to bring out like circulating fans because we'd put our AC units away. Um, and Ward's favorite thing to do is to go up to the back of the fan. You might remember doing this as a kid, going up to the back of the fan and yelling at the top of his lungs, I name is Ward. And of course it comes out like, you know, just like, like really wavery and like modulated and everything. Um, I name is Ward. I name is Ward. Of course, that's his, his own way of saying my name is Ward. Um, Jesus in the gospel of John is trying to shout out from the rooftops. My name is Jesus. I am uh, the one sent from God. I am the Messiah. I am God. And it's uh, becoming clearer and clearer uh, to the people around him that that's what he's trying to say. But it's distorted. Uh, we're getting um, maybe things mixed up about it. As you will see in this passage, people are getting really ticked off about this. Um, they're getting really upset over it. But I want you to remember that this whole series is about who is Jesus. Um, it is about Jesus saying these statements about himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And we're to take notice when he says something like that and figure out what he's saying about himself. Um, so, you know, I, I think Jesus sometimes get, gets the, uh, the reputation of being kind of like the, the proto-hippie. Right, the, the, this magnetic personality, this ultimate nice guy, and surely we can say that he was full of love beyond anything ever imaginable, beyond what this world has ever seen. Uh, but the reality, and we see it so clearly in this passage, is that he's an extremely controversial and polarizing figure at the same time. Um, it's either that the crowds are starting to react and say, hey, Jesus has done this amazing miracle. He fed 5,000 people with bread and loaves. Uh, so let's make him king. That The crowds are, are becoming like stirred up by him. But then when he goes to the temple, when he's in Jerusalem and when he's uh, in Capernaum, uh, the Jewish leaders especially, I get really incensed and infuriated by what Jesus is saying about himself. So we're in one of these episodes where there's a lot of anger and vitriol towards Jesus to the point that they even take up stones to kill him on the spot. But it's not just a story about Jesus way back when, it's also a story that invites a response from us. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at three things. What Jesus is saying about his divinity, first and foremost. Secondly, we're going to look at the specific aspect of his divinity that we're kind of honing in on tonight, which is his eternal nature, his eternity. And then lastly, how do we respond to these words from Jesus? So first, divinity. 
Um, I'm going to have to summarize a lot because there's a lot that was in this passage. I would recommend that you, you open it up, um, John 8, 48 through 49. Um, I'll be referring to it occasionally. Um, but there's this dialogue going on, and unfortunately, we weren't able to read the entire dialogue, but it goes on way longer before that. And so just to sum up, uh, Jesus is having a heated dialogue. And it's this argument, it's the, this debate that was pretty common among um, people in the temple. They would debate, they would argue, they would discuss, but Jesus was particularly um, interesting to them. We come in right in the middle of this dialogue when they accuse him of being demon-possessed. Now, Jesus had already said to them, you are of your father, the devil. So um, these are the kinds of things that are being said. But they're accusing him of being demon-possessed, a Samaritan, a liar, of being self-important and claiming to be God. And that last one especially is blasphemy. And that's what they um, think they have the right to actually kill him on the spot by stoning now, other times in Jesus' uh, life and in the Gospels, Jesus is silent in response to his accusers. And in this episode, he's not. But that doesn't mean that he is unrighteous in his responses. That doesn't mean that he's grown impatient or that he is uh, sinning in any way. What he is doing is he is defending himself, defending his words by speaking pure, unadulterated truth. Um, in the claim, against the claim that Jesus is demon-possessed, he says, no, you are actually of your father, the devil, of this accusation that they're saying to him that you're a Samaritan, which in that time was a racial, a racial epithet. It was, um, the Samaritans were known to be um, of mixed race, meaning they weren't purely Jewish, which also meant that there was a religious implication that they had mixed in other religions into the Judaic religion. They even had a different version of the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Bible. So they're accusing him of, of being like not really a Jew, of being demon-possessed, of being a liar, of being self-important. And on each of these, he says, no, it's actually you. It's actually you who are these things. You are not actually of your father Abraham if you are not spiritually uh, believing in Jesus. Um, you are not speaking the truth, but you are speaking lies. You are being self-important because you're telling me, Jesus, who I'm trying to tell you is God, uh, by telling me what is true. Um, now, I, I know all of us have been in, in arguments where it's just tit for tat. It's just back and forth. Like, you know, you're the, the two kids in the back seat, a long trip. You're, you're a monster. No, you're a monster. No, you're a monster. It goes back and back and forth, and you try to just escalate and just try to outdo each other. And it's just like tit for tat ad nauseum, right? It just goes on and on and on. And this is not what that is, even though it seems like Jesus is just coming right back at them. It would be that if not for Jesus' words being true, that he actually was the Son of God, that he actually was uh, the Messiah, that the Father was actually 
glorifying him. Now, I want to make sure this is really clear because um, there are some people who say, you know, I respect Jesus as a great teacher. He was a great prophet. There are religious people and non-religious people who would say that. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the ethics of Jesus, I love. But when you come to a passage like this in John 8, you see him saying certain things um, that if he were not God would not be ethical, right? So there's a discontinuity here if you were to take this belief that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it better than me, so I'm going to um, kind of go in and out of a quote um, of him. It's in Mere Christianity, which is a really great book. Highly recommend it, if you're, especially if you're interested in Christianity. But he says, um, he often hears people say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, right? So here in this passage, he's claiming to be God. Some people say, well, I just don't like this part. Um, but he, the C.S. Lewis goes on, he says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, in other words, crazy, um, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. I think this passage is an example. It's impossible to believe and take Jesus at his word here without believing that he was God, that he was speaking the truth. He goes on, he says, Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Um, you, you may hear people say, and you may have even thought this yourself, why doesn't Jesus just come out and say, I'm God? Um, and and if, you, if you start to read closely, and if you start to understand the, the Jewish context, that almost becomes an absurd comment. It's absolutely clear to the people, his original audience, that he is blaspheming. He is claiming to be God. What do you think about that? We all need to ask that question. What do we think about Jesus' claims to divinity? Next, I want to hone in on this, uh, this eternal nature of God, which is really what we're about tonight. Um, he says um, that he has existed eternally. Let's just read these verses, 55 through 59 in particular. This is Jesus speaking, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, he's referring to God, the Father, um, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. 
So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and they went out of the temple. So Jesus had been claiming to be one with God the Father, meaning equating himself with God for many pages now. But here, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, that's when they lose it. That's the last straw for them. This I am, hearkening us back to the Exodus, the burning bush, Yahweh saying, I am who I am. I am the eternal God. Now, Abraham is an important figure. He's the father of all Jews. He's the one that that God came to and he made these massive promises. He said, Abraham, go look in the stars in the sky. And I'm sure they could see more stars than we can see in Boston. Um, And he said, I'm going to make your offspring as many as those stars. And he took him to the seashore and he says, you see all the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make your offspring um, as many as the sand kernels, uh, grains, sorry, um, on the seashore. And he says, I'll make of you a great nation and from you all nations will be blessed. These were massive promises that God was making to this man, Abraham. And from Abraham, uh, the entire nation of Israel, the entire Jewish people uh, came forth and indeed he did follow through on his promises. But Jesus says an interesting thing here in verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Wow. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see Jesus, the day of Jesus. He saw it and was glad. Now, this is a mysterious statement. Basically, what he's saying is that the faith of Abraham, uh, Abraham was about 100 years old. God had promised that he was about to have a baby. He knew that it was beyond his lifetime that God would actually fulfill these promises. He knew that he himself could not father that many children. He knew that this was a long, long time away. He knew even when God told him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, he knew that God would resurrect him. Um, He knew, he he even laughed, his uh, son's name was Isaac, which means laughter. He laughed, meaning a, a laugh of joy because he knew that ultimately God would send his only son to die so that God's people may be redeemed from their sin and live. Jesus was before Abraham. In John 1, it says that he was with God in the the beginning. And what that implies is Jesus has no beginning. He was not created. Um, He um, was incarnated. He was born as a baby in the flesh. But Jesus, the spiritual second person of the Trinity, has always been. He never began, and he will never end. So he's saying this simple, marvelous truth that he is eternal. In the same way that God is eternal, Jesus is eternal. What's important about the eternity, the eternal nature of God? Let's think about this for a second. It seems so abstract, so hard to grasp. Let's think about it. Um, say, say you're walking in a park, maybe Emory Park or Boston Commons, and you see uh, a park bench on your left and a park bench on your right. 
And the park bench on your left has this elderly couple, maybe they're in their 80s or 90s, and they're clearly married, still in love, just sitting and being together. And then on the right over here, you see these teenagers, and they're just in the throes of a makeout session, just really passionate love in the daytime. Um, and what would you say is more respectable? Right? I, I'm, I'm not saying anything against kissing. I'm just saying, what would you be like, wow, that's pretty cool? Probably the elderly couple, merely because they spent decades together, most likely, you don't maybe know their whole story. They spent decades together and they still love each other. They still care for one another. They're still spending time with each other. Um, we would say that there's something special about that because of the time, right? In the same way, your family, especially your parents, and the friends that have known you since you were a baby, I mean, those are the most special friends. Those are the most special people in your life because they've known you for so long. They've known you in your bad times, the hard times, and the good times. So there's something about time plus love that matters. Now, you see where I'm going. Um, in Jeremiah 31.3, God says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love, an eternal love. If before Abraham was, Jesus is the great I am. If he is the one who was never created and will never end, then he loves you now, he always loved you, and he always will. What human relationship can promise that? Um, th there's something special about Jesus saying that he, he's eternal, right? Um, and, and it matters because we don't love that way. Uh, people can promise. We, we, you know, I promise to my wife, till death do us part. Um, there's an end to my love, even for my wife. Um, but only God can promise eternal love. Love that never began and will never end. Um, in uh, Revelation, uh, Jesus, or God says to the church in Laodicea uh, that you're lukewarm. Have you ever felt lukewarm in your faith? Um, you're, maybe some of you, you're like, you're just, you know, you go to extremes. So it's like you're either super hot or you're super cold when it comes to your faith, right? Uh, and, and maybe some of us were like, I don't know, I kind of exist in this kind of limbo. Don't really know what I think. Um, God's love is not like that. God's love is burning hot always for us. Uh, there's a great film uh, by Martin Scorsese uh, called Silence, and it's based on a novel. I hope you guys have either seen this movie or read the novel. It's great. Uh, I can't go into all of it. There's just so much, but it's this guy, uh, Shusako Indo. Uh, it tells the story of uh, these Jesuit Portuguese missionaries to Japan, and they come during a time when it is illegal to be a Christian uh, in the country of Japan. So anyone who converts to Christianity is sought out, and they are tortured unless they step on an image of Christ, which means that they apostatize. They, they, they are, become an apostate. Um, 
And so there are these, these many priests that come to this certain village in Japan, and some of them uh, never recant. They you know, are tortured until they die, um, and they never give up their faith in Jesus. But some do, and some do give up their faith and, and end up living among um, the Japanese people. But there's this one um, person, a local convert named uh, Kichijiro, and he is the town drunk, but he's also a Christian. And he apostatizes so many times, I don't even know, during the, during the movie, during this novel. Um, he, every single time after he apostatizes, after he, he just gives in to the torture, he steps on the image of Christ and he recants his faith, he comes back weeping to the priest and says, forgive me, I've done wrong. Um, there's this one priest named Garupe. He's, he's kind of this one that he never apostatizes and he ends up dying. And I think all of us would love to think that that's who we'd be, Garupe. You know, you watch the movie and you think, which person would I be? But many of us are more like Kichikiro. Um, sorry, Kichijiro. Um, we will give up on Jesus. And we'll give up him on him a lot. And each time we'll come back and realize our sin, realize who Jesus is and who uh, we have stomped on. And we'll come back and we'll confess. And the good news is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness every single time. The town drunk knew that. The uh, theologian Gerhardus Voss wrote, the best proof that Jesus will never cease to love us lies in the fact that he never began. This eternal nature of Jesus' love is such an encouraging thing because our love is weak, but God lo God's love never ends. So we need to take hold to him. When you feel frail, when you sin over and over and over again, when you rebel against him, Jesus still is ready to forgive. How will we respond? Um, there really are two responses. Belief in Jesus' words, that he is who he says he is, or disbelief, and in effect, in effect calling him a liar. In verse 51, we read uh, Jesus say, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He will never see death. This eternal life will be given to us. Isn't that amazing? Um, young people, I, I don't consider myself young anymore. Uh, when I was young, I would go cliff diving. When I was young, I could do certain things and not uh, blow my back out. Um, when you're young, there are often characteristics that you have. You uh, feel like the world is your oyster. All of your life is before you, and you are in control of your destiny, right? I know I've felt that. And then the other thing is that you're immortal. Nothing can stop you. Uh, you, know, you, you eat, you drink the way you want to, whatever you want to do in the moment, because nothing can stop you, right? And plus your recovery time is just really, really fast. And your metabolism is really, really fast. Um, 
The irony of this statement here in verse 51 is that there's this paradox that immortality, that eternal life actually comes by giving up your control over your life. The one thing that young people want to hold on to more than anything is control over their destiny. And Jesus is saying, keep my word, follow my commands, make Jesus your king, let me rule your life. And that is where eternal life comes from. And Matthew says, lose your life and you will find it. This is the paradox of following Jesus. That in giving up our freedom and giving our allegiance completely and wholly to Jesus, that is where we find ourselves. That is where we become our true selves. That's where we find freedom. But instead, people hurl insults and then they hurl stones. Um, Jesus, if he hadn't supernaturally hid himself at the end of this episode, um, he could have been dead under a pile of stones. Um, But just as he rolled away the stone from the tomb after he was crucified on the cross, after he gave up his own life and rose from the dead, Jesus could have come up out from under those stones then and there. For whatever reason, he didn't. And the cool thing is, is that um, those men who raised their fists with stones in them, ready to throw them at Jesus, were just as likely, um, and most likely, some of the first converts to Christianity. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Um, If you think you would have been one of the first converts to Christianity, then you may also have been one of those people who were shouting, crucify him. You were raising your hand with a stone ready to kill Jesus on the spot. And we know this. Again, the paradox of Jesus' love is that on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus was ready to forgive someone like Paul who absolutely hated Christians before Jesus saved him. Before Paul became the greatest theologian and missionary this world has ever seen. The same people that were hurling insults and stones Jesus loved. He never is going to stop loving us when we deny him, when we hurl insults at him, when we rebel against him. Just like he promised Abraham, just like Abraham in heaven is now in the face of God, and he sees Jesus, and he's glad, and he laughs. We will see Jesus, and we can know now that no matter what we face, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for not your sometimes love, not your um, passing love, not your conditioned love, but your always and forever love, your 
never-stopping love, the, the love that never began. Lord, you knew us before the foundation of the world. You knew us before uh, you knit us together in our mother's womb, and you uh, will never stop pursuing our hearts. We thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.